This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Edward Chevrette of Kilderland. He has a passion for piloting. Flying, he says, simultaneously gives you a feeling of freedom and also a feeling of control. Retired now, he used his pilot logbooks to chart his memories and has written Wings of Fortune, Personal Tales from the Golden Age of General Aviation. He studied English, a subject he hadn't done well at in school, to write his tales. Striving to achieve a goal, he says, is when you are happiest. Uh, throughout my life, I've yet to find a time period that is documented as closely as the hours and minutes a pilot spends in the air. This time, meticulously recorded in a logbook, is divided into columns and lines, each of which display the date, aircraft number, aircraft type, and time in flight. This information is then categorized into daytime, nighttime, cross-country, solo, and instruction given and received. On the lines where the pilot has received instructions, you'll find a signature with the number next to it. The signatures correspond to the flight instructors, a group of people I highly respect. In a column for remarks, the pilot records the type of maneuvers performed and the weather conditions encountered. These requirements are the basis for documenting sufficient flight time experience in order to maintain proficiency and advancement to higher plateaus. To the uninitiated, these logbook entries look like a basic ledger. To the pilots, each line and column come to life. There are other names that are not recorded in my logbooks, such as fellow pilots and mechanics, the latter to whom I owe as much credit to as the instructors. Through the acquiring of their combined knowledge, I'm able to write this story. I consider myself fortunate to have been able to follow a field of endeavor by choice, in some cases even more so because I'm able to sit and ponder these logbooks. So the realization that as time passes, our memories become less vivid, I have used a more reserved approach in writing the story. The real names of the characters have been changed, but the people, places, and events are real. This is a story about flying. Wow. That's great. Thank you. I would like to start at the beginning of your story, not your book, but your life. Just tell us a little about where you grew up and what your family was like so we can understand perhaps where this passion for flying came from. Uh, we grew up in the Albany area. Uh, my family moved here, I believe, in the early 50s. And I've always uh, had a fascination uh, for airplanes. And uh, we've had a couple of pilots in the family who, you know, flew for pleasure. And uh, I always made models. I was always drawing pictures of airplanes. And I just had this urge. I just needed to get into an airplane. And the strange part about it is uh, I'm not the type to get on top of a ladder, but I don't mind flying an airplane, which is kind of comical. <laughs> it is. But, uh, <laughs> it is. but at any rate, at uh, moving fast forward here, the uh, at 16, I was able to get uh, a chance to take my first flying lesson in a cup, which to me was just un- just the cat's meow. This is what I've always wanted to do. And, of course, my mother and father and brother and sister, they're all behind me because uh, – I was really excited about this. And it got to the point where uh, 
my father helped me get to my first solo. And afterwards, he says, well, if you want to continue, you're going to have to you know, do a little bit more on your own. And what happened was I ended up actually getting a job at the airport working for flying time. And I worked enough at the airport. Uh, I also supported myself with a newspaper road. I also did uh, lawn mowing business. So I was pretty busy in my teenage years. But I finally sold it at 16. Um, by the time I was 21, I was one of the youngest certified flight instructors in the area. So your father, was he one of the people in the family that was a pilot? He knew how to do this? No, no. No, my uh, my father's sister was married to a, 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 a guy who got his private pilot's license. Uh, we had I had some members of uh, the family on my father's side that uh, were uh, fighter pilots and uh, bomber pilots during World War II, and this was something that uh, was sort of something I looked up to. But I just had this thing about flying an airplane, and I wanted to be someday a a professional pilot, which I eventually made it. Well, I'm still puzzled as to where this came from because, um, okay. no, I just, you, you made models, you drew pictures, you looked up to family members who were in World War II, either as fighter or bomber pilots, but then taking that step to where you get in the plane yourself, I would never take that step. <laughs> it's just, it just was in you. It was just some passion that was in you. You... It's, it's, it was a passion, and uh, of course, I mean, this is not something you just hop in an airplane and you fly by yourself. I mean, right. There's instructions that go along with it. I had some excellent, excellent instructors, and uh, they're, they're, they're very professional about how they handle you because when they pull this on you that you're going to make your first solo, you have no idea it's coming, which I think is great because you aren't concentrating. I mean, am I going to make this or not? And when the time comes, your instructor knows you're ready and you know you're ready. And they say, go fly the airplane on your own. And it is uh, really quite the experience, especially when you're 16 years old and you always liked airplanes. Yeah, I'm, but I'm it, just looking for the know, phrase that you wrote. You wrote, this is the greatest adventure that a 16 year old could ever experience. So how yeah. does that happen? Is I mean, is the person that's been instructing you still sitting beside you so that like with driver ed class, you know, if you make a mistake, there's another set of brakes they can push or how does that work? How does the solo? F well, full, okay. Well, in the airplane, I mean, it's, it's fully dual control. So the, the instructor has complete control if you make a okay. mistake, but when it comes time for your first solo, you're on your own. You're the only one in that oh, airplane. Oh, solo is literally and solo. You're up there alone. So, uh, oh, gosh. You are up oh, there wow. alone. Oh, I yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so be honest, were you scared? Uh, no. You know, the thing was, I wasn't scared because you're concentrating on what you're doing. And when it's all over, you get out of the airplane and say, wow, I really did that. And uh, I mean, you're, you're trained for this. You're groomed for it. So when the time comes, it's not like you're going to be afraid. Uh, you know what to do. And, of course, it's under control conditions. You're not going to send you out on a windy day. It's going to be a nice day. And uh, you've had your, uh, you've learned your air work. You've done your uh, emergency practice, emergency landings. And your first solo is you must take, make three takeoffs and landings to a full stop while your instructor is watching. 
And when I became an instructor, I realized that there's a different end to this first solo because when you send that student up on his own, you're saying to yourself, I hope I didn't forget anything. <laughs> oh, so you experienced it from the other side as well when you became an instructor, having taught a student oh, yes. and having to watch him or her just take off and hoping you've done everything you needed to do to make that go well. Gosh. So yeah. the experience itself of being up in the sky when you are piloting the plane, what just tell us that people like myself that have never done that, is it a feeling of freedom? Is it a feeling of what, what does it feel like? Well, first of all, it is a feeling of freedom. It also is a feeling of control because you are in control of the airplane. And when I first started to fly, uh, not many people were doing that at the time which was uh, kind of, uh, I guess, pat in the back or whatever you want to call it. But once you start flying, you, you becoming a, a group, uh, you becoming a member of a very elite group, it's the camaraderie is there, the friendship is there, the love of flying, and it's, it's a, uh, a bond and the friendship, it's very, very hard to explain and twice as hard to resist, but it is really something else. And it's, it's, and it's very, very rewarding, by the way. Yeah. Well, I was trying to read up just to be able to talk to you and I came across a book, you might know it. Um, it's Free Flight, Inventing the Future of Travel by James Fallow. And he divides all people into two groups. One group is enthusiasts, and that would be you. It says, just like what you're talking yeah. about, the typical gathering of pilots is like an RV or hot rod enthusiast club. People have grease under their fingernails. The aircraft business is littered with <laughs> stories of startup companies that failed. And then he has the rest of us, which are civilians. Um, they view airplanes not as fascinating objects objects, but as transportation, you know, sort of the way you look at a car. But um, you're yeah. clearly in that that elite class, as you said. So what like what kind of friendships have you had over the years with with pilots or other people that share your enthusiasm? Um, with other pilots, with instructors, uh, there's a bond that was very, very close. Um, you find out that when you're flying with some of these people, what you think is a uh, just a, a casual friendship turns out to be a, a long-term friendship. Um, there are many, many pilots that uh, I've known over the years, uh, not only at the Loudoun Airport, pilots I've flown with. Um, when you get into advanced multi-engine flying, instrument flying, and of course, when you start getting into uh, high-altitude aircraft like the Lear. And there is that bond that people, no matter how many hours you have an airplane or how many years you have flown, there's still that enjoyment and that love of flying that machine. And it never goes away even after you retire. Wow. So walk us through your career. We, you started out with your first solo flight in this Cub at age 16. And then just kind of walk us through how things progressed from there. Sure, sure. Uh, after I sold, of course, I worked around the airport. When I was 17 years old, I was uh, I took my private pilot flight test. So there's three, three licenses, your student, your private, your commercial. And when I was 19, I passed my, uh, almost 20 years old, I passed my commercial pilot's license. So when I was almost 20 years old, I was a licensed commercial pilot 
What that means is you have a license to fly for hire. That means it could be a 10-minute passenger ride or it could be uh, a charter halfway across the state. When I turned 21, I became a certified flight instructor. And I worked as a flight instructor for uh, several years until I eventually became an instrument-rated flight instructor. From there, I went on to uh, flying light twin engine aircraft, and we did a lot of uh, weather flying. What's weather flying? What, what is weather bo- flying? Weather fly- flying on days like this when most people aren't. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, flying in the clouds, flying in the snow, flying in the rain understanding your traffic controls, understanding the systems in the airplane, and understanding the communications that you have to have for the airplane. Uh, I also had a break at one point. We were up at Round Lake Airport. I actually had the opportunity to do some float flying, which was very, very interesting. And what What is I'm that? I'm putting it together a little. Flying an airplane equipped with floats, flying it off of water. Oh, wow. So it literally so lands I, I and takes off from a body of water. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Huh. Fascinating. So I interrupted your flow of the career. So so you're you're up to the light twin-engined aircraft and weather flying. Yeah. Then then for a while there, I was over a place outside of Troy where I had a uh, licensed flight school. I had a uh, charter service with uh, seven single-engine airplanes and one twin. I also had the VA flight training program. And I also had a contract with the United States Navy through RPI to uh, start with their Navy ROTC students and give them their first few hours as far as flight instructions is concerned. And from there, they graduated into Pensacola. After that was done, um, I was offered this position to go with a company that had the uh, Turboprop Commander and the the Learjet, and that was that was some very nice flying there. Very different flying because we get into high altitude aircraft pressurization, and uh, you're looking at weather a little bit differently from forty one thousand feet than you are from four thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, tell us what that's like. <laughs> wow, what yeah. what is that like? Forty one thousand um, feet. I can't even imagine. Well, well, what you're it's, it's the thing is. Um, Best way to describe it, people think, well, that's going to be scary up there. No, because the size of the airplane doesn't change. It's your reference point that change. And uh, it's flying the airplane a little bit different at higher altitude. But it's uh, actually, it's quite uh, exciting the first couple of times you do it. And then after you've done it a few times, sitting at those altitudes is just part of your job. And as I used to tell people, if you're looking for me, I'll be in my office because my office has wings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you have a sense of humor about it all. So then working by flying the Learjets, was that the end of your career? Or did it go on from there? Or what happened? It, it, went, it went on a little bit long from there because after the, the, uh, the company got rid of their flight department, I flew for another uh, local company. The, the problem I ran into is as I got a little older, I had problems with my eyes. I had problems with glaucoma. And unfortunately, uh, at the height of my career, I happened to, I had to quit because of that. But outside of that, I had a very, very nice long career of flying. In fact, um, uh, in the early 80s, I received a uh, an award from the FAA for 
10,000 consecutive hours without an aircraft accident. Well, congratulations. Gosh. Thank you. So tell us about writing the book. First, I want to start with the title because how did you come up with the phrase wings of fortune? Okay, you're going to like this because at the time, um, this is before I was writing the book, I was around the Lear and we used to get down to um, uh, Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport uh, quite frequently. And there was a younger fellow there who was operating it, and uh, he had a hangar, and in the hangar he had his own private Learjet. So anytime we come in, he said, wait a second, he'd make sure that he'd wash our airplane and put our Learjet in the hangar next to his. Mm. And uh, this is, I was thinking about this one day when I was coming up with the title for the book. And we're in the hangar one day, and the two airplanes are side by side, and he's kind of leaning up against the tip tank of his airplane. And he's telling me about all of his trips down to Venezuela and the trips he has going here, there, and whatever, the, you know, wherever his charter customers took him. And I says, well, that's interesting. So, so what do you think about that thing? He said, I tell you, he said, I get a, a real kick out of it. That's the reason why I call my airplane Wings of Fortune. Hmm. And that's how it oh, started. That's, that's a great story. Now there's a second part to the title as well. And it sent me scrambling to try to figure out because it says personal tales, I understand that, of the golden age of general aviation. So I went online to see what the golden age of general aviation was. And they're all different opinions on that. Some people seem to think it was between the two world wars. Some people, what, what do you mean by that phrase? What is that? golden age of general. I'll I'll, I'll explain to you the the time period that I lived through Mm -hmm. it, okay? Uh, They they started with the Cub. This is uh, 1959 is when I sold the Cub. Well, in the early 60s, the aircraft manufacturers like Piper, Cess, and Beach, they they were really getting into faster airplanes, bigger airplanes, and more expensive airplanes. And it went on for quite some time to the point that general aviation is classified as anything that's not airlines and it's not military. So this could be charter flights, this could be uh, student instruction, could be uh, uh, aerial uh, surveys, whatever. And the three manufacturers were really, they were making a lot of airplanes. And there was a lot of people learning to fly. And during that stage, I would say between 1959 and probably up until the mid-80s, uh, general aviation was a very big factor as far as the economy was concerned, as far as uh, jobs were concerned. And then afterwards, uh, like everything else, it starts to wane. But general aviation, this golden age, there's many people who told me, Ed, this is the golden age of aviation that we're living in right now. And that's where I got that from. And that was exactly your era. So what? why did it start yeah. to wane? It seems like there are more and more people traveling now. It's just they don't, they're on commercial airlines. They're not people that are flying, you know, their own planes. Or Why did it wane? Do you have a theory on that? Uh, no, I don't have too much of a theory on that. I think it's just about time that probably did because people were getting to the point where there are a lot of people who had their own airplanes. And then one thing that was uh, really coming about towards the end of that period was uh, what they call corporate aviation. And uh, there were so many people that uh, and companies um, that needed to get someplace that didn't have time to fly their own personal airplanes. 
they're finding out that flying in the airlines was not that great if they had to get, let's say, from here to Florida because you may not do it in three hours. And as a result, a new set of, uh, or I'll say Department of Aviation come out called Corporate Aviation. And a lot of these big companies, they had fleets of aircraft and people going to corporate aircraft and uh, that basically was it. And they are still doing that today. In fact, corporate aviation today, I think it's probably bigger than the airlines. I mean, if you get a good corporate job as a pilot, it's very good. And I, I'm talking about people like, you know, General Electric, uh, Cummins. Um, there's so many companies. If you get down into a place like uh, Westchester, White Plains, New mm-hmm. York, that's all that, that's all that place is. One hangar after another of corporate jets, corporate aircraft. I don't know how I missed so, that. That's fascinating. So tell us about the process of writing the book. I gather from your introduction, you have what most of us do not have as we look back at our lives. You have very precise records. Um, So just what was the process of how did you begin writing the book and how did you come up with the various chapters and flow of it? What, What was that process like? Well, the process basically, I used my pilot logbooks, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were a great uh, outline. But uh, a funny thing, I, I made since the book has come out, I've had book signings, I've had several interviews and whatnot, and I tell everybody, I said, when I was in high school, my two, two worst subjects were English and history. So I turn around, and I write a book about local aviation history, and uh, I had to go back. I wanted to. Uh, I wasn't a very good writer, so I had to go back and study English again. And I had a couple of decent editors, but the idea was I knew what I wanted to do. I had that goal. And the thing is, and anytime you have a goal, it's when a person is happiest when you're reaching for it. I like that. Man's reach should exceed his grasp, else what a heaven for, yeah. Robert Browning. I like that thought a lot. Yes. And you just just say that yeah. again. Anytime you have a goal, that's when you're happiest. Is that what you, yeah, that's. Exactly. Uh, and I, I'm going to, I got to tell you funny, it's going to be, you're going to laugh on this one. I was talking to one of my uh, instructors one time. And Kitty has his, his name is Fred. He says, Fred, what, how do you define a goal? He says, well, look, look at it this way. He says, if you want to get to the top of that stairway, that's your goal. And the only way to get there is you have to go one step at a time. But as long as you have that goal up there, you're going to have something to look forward to, and you're going to be happy doing it. But he said, there's a problem with success. I says, what's that? He says, when you get to the top of that stairway, you've got to open up a door and go to another set. You've got to always have something to look forward to. So just kidding me, I said, okay, Fred, I understand. I get to the top of the stairway, open up the door. I said, now what happens when I get to the top of the door and there's not, or top of the stairway and there's not a door? He says, you cut a hole in the wall, you put a door in. And I never, never forgot that. I never forgot that. Oh, I love that. So in a way, that's what this book is. You just cut a hole in the wall and you made yourself walk through it. That was a new challenge. And I'm just shocked. I'm really shocked to hear you say you weren't good at English because I think you're writing... um, is quite remarkable. It's direct. It's sincere. I'm just going to read a passage that I loved. You were describing this Quonset hut type structure, the hangar that you hung out at 
as a kid. And you're saying the summer finds us flying just for the fun of flying. There's also cross-country flying for those visiting other airports or gaining required experience for future pilot ratings. Heavy rain falling on the metal hangar from seasonal thunderstorms is a sound not soon forgotten. Fall brings a kaleidoscope of colors, colors so vivid, distraction from one's flying is quite common. Winters are fierce, high winds, deep snow, and bone-chilling cold. Outfitting one of the cubs with a set of skis is a unique treat, particularly when making your own runway out of our snow-covered airport. Spring brings with it another challenge, mud. Somewhat short of half of the north-south runway is all that is usable during the mud season. I mean, you've just taken us through the whole year from a a pilot's perspective. It puts you right there with just this simple prose. I just, I don't know why you weren't good in English class. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, I wish wish my English teachers were around too, because I'd like to call them and ask them myself. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, um, did you read other books to get ideas on how to put this together? Or how, you know, the actual writing process, what was that like? Do you do it with a pen in hand? Or you sit at a keyboard? Or how does that work? No, I, I started with it, a computer that someone was getting ready to throw mm-hmm. out. And I, I was I did the original uh, thing on this was on floppy disk that I'd buy at 25 cents a mm-hmm. piece. My, my my first computer I had was Windows SE 98, if you can mm-hmm. picture that. But at any rate, again, I had a goal. I didn't want a book to be so boring that people halfway through to put it down. Mm-hmm. I wanted the reader to be in the airplane with mm-hmm. me. I wanted to be first person. I didn't want it to be, well, we used to do this, we used to do that because that was not the way I wanted it. And uh, I also, as I was, I, I rewrote this book before I had it published about six or seven times because what I would do is I'd read a passage and I'd close my eyes and if I couldn't see that picture that I wrote about, then I'd have to rewrite that page. And those are the two things I use to write the book. 